0: I think that most of us parents, if we knew that our life was going to be coming to an end sometime relatively soon, we would love to have an opportunity to pass on some, some words of wisdom, some advice, something that would benefit our children. know, if it was the last opportunity that we have to tell them something that would better their lives after we're gone, we'd really love to have the opportunity to do exactly that. And that's what you find there in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Uh, David knows that his life is going to be over soon and his son Solomon is going to be taking uh, the crown. He's going to be uh, the king of God's people. And David is trying to pass some things along to him that will uh, hopefully make the transition better and will hopefully be of benefit to him in the coming years. And that's why uh, he says, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. Now, when David says to know God, he's not saying, well, you know, you need to know that God exists. Uh, That term in uh, in the Bible, Old Testament and New, generally implies not only do you realize that God exists, but it also carries with it the idea of being in submission to him, being obedient to him, knowing what his will is, and abiding by it as much as possible. Uh, There are a lot of people who would say, yes, I I, I know that God exists. But at the same time, they they don't don't do what he tells them to do. Uh, So it's, well, I may know that. I may intellectually assent to that. But, you know, it's not really having any effect on me. But when he says to know God, he talks about knowing him with the sense of, of knowing his will and then striving to do it. And serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. One of the things about this, and we talked about this um, uh, during our, our class time, is that God does not force himself on anybody. God could if he so chose, but he does not. God wants us to seek him of our own free will. What we do, we do because that's what we want to do. Uh, Over in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, the the depth of depravity of the Gentile world. Uh, And as I mentioned earlier this morning, I kind of uh, read this and think, wow, you know, that sounds just like us. But in verse 18 there in Romans chapter one, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress, and that's an important word there, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's not that they don't know the truth or that they can't know the truth. They suppress it. They don't want to know. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know, from time to time, uh, when you're talking about uh, how to become a a Christian, a child of God, uh, the things that you need to know, the things that you need to do, people come up and they'll say, well, what about people that have never heard the Bible before? What about people that that have absolutely no idea uh, about any of these things? What about them? You know, is God going to hold them accountable? Well, right here, Paul says that they're without excuse, that they should be able to look at the world around them and say, this had to have been made by someone. It could not possibly happen by itself. So... If this is made by someone, what does he want from me? And the thing is, is if, if we choose to seek what God wants us to do, God will make that knowledge available. Now, he's not going to do it miraculously. You know, there are some people in the religious world that, uh, that have the idea that, you know, God is going to decide that he's going to save you individually, and he's going to, you know, figuratively crack your head open, pour the knowledge you need in there, and then close it back up. It does not happen that way. Again, God wants us to do these things from our own free will. We have to want to do it. And so if you want to know what God's will for you is, he will make the knowledge available. And that being the case, we have no excuse. Uh, It's one of those things, it's always a really interesting thing to me. Uh, You have a lot of people in the scientific world these days uh, who will say that no, God doesn't exist. Uh, Stephen Hawking uh, made the, uh, the statement uh, once upon a time that you either had to believe in science or you believed in God. Uh, and I heard a, a, a very well-known physicist uh, go into some serious detail about how wrong Stephen Hawking was. He said, you know, that, no, that's not the case at all. Said, the more said, the more you know about physics, the more you appreciate God as an engineer. And biologists will tell you, you know, when you begin to look at the intricacy of the human body, how well it does, and this is funny, even some of them that, that will claim that they are atheists when they talk about things like the human body, they'll talk about how it was designed. You can't have a design without a designer. You know, if if it is designed, somebody did it. An intelligent mind decided that that's the way it was supposed to be. And then that's the way it was made. So so people that look at these things, and there are a lot of scientists out there that do not agree with the idea that you either believe in God or you believe in science. They know full well that the more you look at some of these things, uh, biology, physics, astronomy, whatever, The more you look at that, the more you have to come to the conclusion it was designed. It did not happen by itself. As a matter of fact, there are several several of them who have said it is impossible that it could have happened by accident. There's no chance. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy seeing when you'll see some of these guys talking about these things occasionally. And another one, uh, that I really enjoy is when they say everything we thought we knew is wrong. You know, you you listen to them a lot of the time and they'll say, well, we know this, we know this, we know this, and then a couple of years later they'll come back and they'll say, whoops, we thought we knew that and something we found now tells us we're absolutely wrong about that. Uh, one of the latest ones, I don't know if, uh, if you follow these things or not, but Uh, they were talking about the James Webb telescope. Uh, It's supposed to be the most powerful one ever made, uh, makes Hubble look really weak, but they put that up and they started looking at things, trying to see out past where Hubble was able to see, and they said, you know, we've been thinking about the Big Bang all these years, thinking that that's the way the universe started. Uh, Come to find out, no, it didn't. Because there's things out there that should not be there if the Big Bang is true. They don't know as much as they think they do, but they don't like to admit that. But God is going to give us an opportunity. We have the chance, we can make the choice, it's up to us. If we want to be children of God, we can be, and if we don't want to be children of God, he is not going to force us to be. But the information is there. Uh, Over in Acts chapter 17, when the Apostle Paul was, was talking to the, uh, the philosophers there uh, at the Areopagus, he's talking about God. He said, you know, you, you are very, very religious people, and I know that because you have got temples to every imaginable God. you even got one that says to the unknown God. You know, you're afraid you were going to miss one. But he says in verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God's not trying to hide. He puts himself at a bit of a distance to give us a choice. We get to choose. You know, sometimes people talk about, uh, you know, uh, irresistible grace. God's grace comes on people that God wants to save, and they are saved people whether they wanted it or not even if they didn't want to be saved they have no choice god made the choice he saved them and that's it well that's not what god does because if you think about it and this is one of the uh, biggest objections i've ever heard uh, to that particular doctrine if, if you have no choice in the matter if god either saves you or makes you lost and it's his decision then who's to blame when you're lost god is God is not like that. God is is no uh, person that's going to put you in a position to be lost against your will. You know, he doesn't play favorites. He says everybody has a choice. You get to obey or not. And so when you stand in the judgment before God, you can't blame him. It's your fault one way or the other. And it's also true that if, if we are going to seek God, we have to actively seek him. Uh, again, you know, it's one of those things, I don't know, it's just kind of counter to common sense, or, or at least the, uh, the kind of common sense that, that I grew up with, is that, you know, if, if we're supposed to do what God wants us to do, he's going to hide that from us you know if he wants us to do something he will he will enable us to find out what that is we'll have an opportunity to say this is what god wants me to do and this is what god does not want me to do he's not going to hide the requirements from us but at the same time we have to actively look again he will not force the knowledge on us or in uh, luke chapter 11 verse 9 jesus said so i say to you ask And it will be given to you, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God knows how to give gifts. And he offers that one to us. You know, in First uh, John chapter 2, uh, in verse 3, John says, By this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. You know, Jesus said, Luke 6, 46, if you love me, keep my commandments. So, you know, we, we, can't, we have a, a, a scale to judge by. You know, are we serious about knowing God? Are we serious about obeying God? Well, how hard do we work at trying to do what he tells us to do? Because a lot of people don't. But know God is in the sense of being obedient to him. There are things, again, that God requires of us. And it's not just left up to us to kind of, more or less, sort of, occasionally, you know, if we feel like it, do what he wants. It's a requirement. Again, you know, you look at Ephesians chapter two and verse eight, you know, we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. And it's not of works, but we are created for good works. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We don't earn our salvation by the works that we do. We have to do what he tells us, but those are works of obedience. Over in 2 Thessalonians chapter one, the Apostle Paul is, is talking to some people that are undergoing a lot of persecution. I, these people, they've got, it, they've got it rough. You know, this is bad times. And he's, he's trying to ease their minds and tell them that these things actually can have a purpose and you are going to come through on the other side. And he talks about it, he says uh, in verse four, so that we ourselves boast of you among the church of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation, Those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now, first off, he says, These people are troubling you. You're suffering now. They will suffer later. You know, things are going their way now. Things are going to go your way later. The positions are going to be reversed. You are suffering, and what that does is it shows that you are. A child of God you know it, it's kind of like somebody said once upon a time nobody kicks a dead dog and the point they were making is is that if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing as a Christian then people are not going to bother you they're not going to feel threatened they're going you know they're going to leave you alone but if people are saying things about you it may be that they're doing it because they don't like the things that you've been saying you know, so if you're a Christian and you think, well, all, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Nobody's kicked me lately. Check my pulse. See where I am. But it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. And you, you're going to be given rest with us when the Lord Jesus is re- revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is really counter to what a lot of people believe. Uh, I read read something back some time ago, and what they were doing is is they were looking at uh, the difference in attitudes that people have toward hell. And they said, you know, back back years ago, uh, people knew about hell, They knew what the Bible said about hell, and they knew what kind of people were going to be sentenced to hell and those that were not. And said, but over the years, things have changed. Uh, A lot of people don't believe in it at all. I mean, you've got some religious organizations that say hell doesn't exist. They say the worst thing that's going to happen is if you're not a child of God, you're just going to poof, be gone like you never were, and you'll never know anything about it. But people, even if they agreed that hell does exist and it's there uh, to punish people that don't do God's will, they say the only people that are going to go there are the people that are really, really bad people. You know, if you're, if you're talking about, you know, Adolf Hitler and people like that, you know, serial killers, those are the people that are going to go to hell. Well, what did Paul say? That Jesus was going to come in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Know God in the sense of being obedient to Him. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says if they don't know God in the sense of being obedient to Him, and if they don't obey the gospel, they're lost. And it doesn't say that these are necessarily, you know, really, really evil people. They don't know God and they don't obey the gospel. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That punishment comes on people because they don't know God. They're not obeying God. You know, and and even people who profess to know God, you can tell if they do or not by the things that they do. You know, in Titus chapter 1 verse 16, Paul talked about people that profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. They say they know God, but their practices prove that they don't, and again, you know, if, if, if someone, I, I guess it's one of those things, that it takes care of itself. You know, if, if you're a, uh, a bad enough person that you would purposely teach false doctrine to people, then you've probably convinced yourself that hell doesn't exist. Or, or that, you know, at least you're not gonna get punished there. But you know, when you have people that are going to be held accountable for the kind of things that they have taught, for the effect that they have had on other people, you know, you, you get to suffer not only for what you've done, but for what you encourage somebody else to do. Now, that would scare me. That would scare me a lot. But evidently, they don't seem to be too terribly concerned about it. You know, and and David said that not only do you have to know God, but you serve him. You serve God with a loyal heart. You know, over in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. God has got to be first in everything. Everything you do must be done, well, does God want me to do this, or would God not want me to do this? First thing you've got to decide, am I supposed to do this or not? Will God be pleased with me or not? And if you think, yes, God would be pleased, God wouldn't mind me doing it, then you can do it. But I mean that that goes <clears throat> for everything. You know, sometimes people say, "Well, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put my family, you know, down in second or third place. I'm 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 gonna put them number one." Well, the only way you can do that is if you put God in first place and put your family in second place. God requires you to take care of your family. You know, o- over in 1 uh, Timothy chapter five, he said, you know, if someone won't care for his own, now he's, t- he's talking about the church <clears throat> taking widows on uh, to support them. Now remember, in, in, in the first century, uh, widows and orphans had a little bit more of a serious meaning than they do now. Uh, you know, nowadays we've got government agencies and we have, uh, you know, nonprofit groups and things like that that, that take care of people. They did not then. If you were a widow or if you were an orphan, you were on your own and there was nobody there to take care of you. Now, Paul is saying that the church will take care of them if they don't have family to take care of them. He said the family ought to be taking care of them anyway. And he says if you won't care for your own, you have denied the faith and you're worse than an infidel. You put God first, that means you take care of your family. If you don't take care of your family, you know, you're an infidel. You're an unbeliever in God's sight. So serve him means to take care of your family and to seek always in all things to do God's will. I have oftentimes thought of uh, religion like something that would go in a shoebox and what some people do is on Sunday morning, they will go in, they'll open the closet, they'll take the shoe box off the top shelf, they'll open it up, they'll take their religion out, they'll take it to the church building with them, and then they go back home, they put it back in the box, put the lid on it, put it back on the shelf, and that's where it stays until the next Sunday, maybe. Maybe two or three Sundays. But it's not something that is that important to them And it's not something that affects everything that they do in their life. You know, uh, Christianity is not something that you do. Christianity is something that you are. And you are that way all the time. You know, no matter what day of the week it is, no matter what time of the day it may be, no matter how old or young you may be, if you are a Christian, it affects every single thing you do. It has to everything has to be subservient to doing uh, God's will at all times. Because if it's not, you know, eventually we're going to have to make a decision. You know, again, if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot have a divided loyalty. You know, in James chapter 1, James talks about people who are double-minded, and he says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Uh, specifically, in that context, he's talking about asking God for something. You know, if you if you lack wisdom, ask God for wisdom. God will give you wisdom if that's what you really want. Now, sometimes you have to be careful what you ask for because when you get it, it's ooh, I didn't know all of this came along with it. Because sometimes God teaches you wisdom; He does not give you wisdom. And that can be kind of uncomfortable. Uh, Again, like Will Rogers said, sometimes good judgment comes from bad judgment. Mistakes that you make, you learn from them, hopefully, and you try not to do them again. But we have to always do God's will in all things, and it's not in a second place. And when he says that we have to serve him with a willing mind, we have to do it because we want to. You know, When you're younger, I don't know how how, uh, all you folks grew up. I know a lot of you did pretty much the same way I did. But uh, sometimes your parents told you to do things that you just really didn't want to do. And I I can't even think about that without my my brother. And please don't ever tell him I said this. But my brother had the job. I I had to cut the wood, but he had to carry it in the house. We had a wood-burning stove in the basement, you came around, you came in through the basement door, and you had to pile it up there. And uh, if wood was getting low, they'd say, well, you know, you need to go out and bring some wood in. Well, he was busy. He didn't want to do that right now. And they said, well, go do it anyway. And he would get mad. He had, he had a temper that was probably almost about half as bad as mine. But he would go out, and he would start carrying in the wood, and he would carry in enough. You had a hard time getting in the basement. Well, if you're going to make me do it, I'm going to make you regret making me do it. And that's what he would do. But he was doing it because he had to do it, not because he wanted to do it. And see, that is one of the key parts of being a Christian. You have got to change your mind and change it in the sense of you're going to reprogram it. And it can be done, it's just really, really, really hard to do. Uh, I heard somebody one time say that in order to get rid of a bad habit, you have to go through about 3,000 repetitions of a good habit in order to wipe that one out. And I'm, I think they're being a bit optimistic about that myself, but it can be done. But you have to change from being the kind of person that, okay, I'll do it if I have to, to being the kind of person. God, if that's what you want me to do, then that's what I want to do, and I'm going to go do it, and do it because you want to. You know, in, um, uh, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is, is talking about um, a collection for the, the poor saints. He, he had uh, uh, broached the subject with them in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, he's talking more about it, uh, about how they are supposed to finish all of this up, and he tells them, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 10, he says, in this I give advice. It's to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there be an equality. As it is written, He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. But he says, I want you to do this because you want to do it. You want to do it. If there is first a willing mind, it's accepted according to what one has. He's telling them, look, it doesn't really matter so much how much money you give, it's what's your motivation behind it. You remember the widow at the treasury when Jesus is watching people throw in their money, and most of them are throwing in a lot of money, but it's coming out, of, out because they're rich. They're never gonna notice it's gone. And you got the one widow who threw, who threw in a, a little bitty bronze coin, two mites, barely anything at all. And Jesus says she gave more than all of them. And he's not saying then each one of those, he's talking about all of them put together. You know, they've given millions, she gave a penny. And she gave more than they did, why? Because when you, when you gauge it against what she had, she gave everything she had. You know, they're given from their abundance. They'll never miss it. it. It is not the amount that you give. It's the amount of sacrifice that it takes to give it. That's what is the important part. But the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. You know, I think if you could get that one thing through people's heads, that there would be a lot of people who would change. You know, a lot of people have the idea that it's only illegal if you get caught. You know, you can go and do whatever you want to as long as you don't get caught. You know, and, and I've, I've heard people say that character is what you do when no one's watching. And I, I believe in that, absolutely. What do you do, you know, think about it this way, I, I saw something one time that was built on this premise what would you do if somebody could absolutely guarantee you that nobody would ever know, you'd never be caught, nobody'd find out? What would you do if you absolutely knew you would never get caught? You know, you think about that, and there are a lot of people, there is no telling what they would do. I probably don't even want to know. But that's what Christians are supposed to think about. You know, well, well, what do you do when you know somebody knows? God knows everything. He searches all hearts, understands all the intents of the thoughts. You know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, the preacher said, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Now, that's, that's the New King James rendering, which I think is a better one uh the king james says it's the whole duty of man but it's not just the whole duty of man it's the whole of man it's our purpose for being here but he says do that fear god keep his commandments why because he goes on in verse 14 it says for god will bring every work into judgment including every secret thing whether good or evil god knows everything including the things you try really hard not to even tell yourself god knows them and the last piece of advice that david gave solomon if you seek him he will be found by you if you are honestly seeking what god wants you to do you'll be given the opportunity to know but if you forsake him he will cast you off forever Now, that's putting it in about as plain a terms as you possibly could. And Solomon most certainly started out right. You know, God asked him, well, you know, what do you want? Solomon said, I want wisdom. I'm like a little child. I don't know how to go in or out. This is a great people that you have here. You know, I'm not qualified to lead these people. I want wisdom so that I can lead them properly. And God said, well, that's good. That was a really good answer. And because that was your answer, I'll give it to you, wisdom, like nobody has ever had before or ever will. But since you didn't ask for riches or power or glory, I'll give all of that to you too. Whether that was the cause of of Solomon beginning to drift away, whether it was solely just his, his wives, it's hard to say. But in 1 Kings chapter 11, you see Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not. Fully follow the Lord as did his father David. His wives led him away from God. I like to think, if you look at the, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, I like to think that later in his life he realized the error of his ways and he turned back. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, I don't think, was written by a young man. You know, you, you read through about all the things. He says that was a man who had a lot of experience and had spent a lot of time thinking about things. And he had thought about what all the world had to offer. And Solomon was definitely qualified to do that. And he finally came to the conclusion, it's all vanity and vexation of the spirit. If you want to know the one thing that's important in life, it's fear God and keep his commandments. This is man's all. If we follow him, he will bless us if we don't we'll be lost forever it's our choice we get to make that decision it may be that there's someone here this morning that's not a child of god if you're here and you're not a christian you could come forward confessing your faith in jesus as the son of god and you could be baptized have your sins washed away or if you're an erring child of god you've done something that has separated you from him you need to go to god in prayer confess the sin to him from a repentant heart and ask him to forgive you, and he's promised to do that. Or it could be that you just need to come forward and ask for the prayers of those that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, would you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing.